I, uh, I didn't know about, about the name when, when I heard they called it Hope Baptist Church. I mean, I was expecting something a little more regal, like First Baptist of Loveland or, or, uh, or, or Emmanuel Baptist Church, and it was Hope Baptist, and for some reason it didn't ring with me first when I, when I learned of it. <laughs> but as I came year after year after year visiting to see my parents, I began to see the wisdom behind calling it Hope. Baptist Church. You see, we live in a world that has none. We sang the song this morning, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I don't know if you noticed, or maybe you haven't even thought about these words. I want to read you just the verses, one of the verses. Uh, o little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet, in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting life. Notice, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. All the years leading up to and looking back. All of man's hopes and fears culminate in the life of Jesus Christ. You see, hope is born. As I spoke to you earlier, when Jesus came to be born, he brought hope. And if it weren't for the fact that we have Jesus as our Savior to depend upon, there would be no hope for anyone in this room as well. There'd be no hope for mankind because mankind royally blew it. We've been studying Genesis. God gave Adam everything. Look around, Adam. Look at these trees. Look at this incredible, incredible world that I've made for you. It's all for you. And you can have all of it. Oh, except for just one. There's just one tree. It's the tree over there. Adam, you can't have that one. Don't, don't eat that. Everything else you can have. Now, what I'm telling you is something that's hard for us to comprehend because I know many of you love delicious, fresh fruit. But the fruits we have pale in comparison. They taste like cardboard compared to what they had in the Garden of Eden. Succulent. It's fresh. It's brand new. It was incredible. And they could partake in it all. Just, just one. And where was it? <laughs> what tree was it that captivated their attention the most from the very beginning? Which tree was it that captivated their It was that one they couldn't have. From Adam and Eve's fall until today, the hope that was found in the world has left like air out of a balloon. Jeff, thank you for your willingness to share your heart. For years, Jeff had no hope. And that was his testimony to me right off the bat. What caused me to want to interview him was because I learned what God had done in restoring that hope. This, uh, this rejection of hope is nothing new. In the Old Testament, we see the world rejected hope. The prophet Jeremiah served the Lord during one of the most heart-wrenching and awful times in Judah's history. The people had pushed their God once too often. Of course, he pronounced a message of doom and destruction against them. <laughs> they were awaiting to be overrun by the Babylonian army. It was ruthless. 
And yet, they didn't believe it. And in a short time, the city of Jerusalem would be filled with a starving population. The Bible describes how horrific it was in Jerusalem. Seated here today, we have a hard time getting our minds around the trials of some third world countries where there is actually starvation still going on today. People dying in the streets because there's not enough food. But if you could intensify that image in your mind by 50, the city of Jerusalem now has been cut off by the Babylonian army, and for months they're not allowing any food supplies to come in. The food is completely gone. They've turned to eating whatever they can find. Every rodent is fair game. Some of the elderly begin dying off from starvation. It's not long, it's not long before they begin not thinking clearly because of a deprivation of the nutrients they need in their brains. And the Bible is very clear that it records that cannibalism became prevalent in Jerusalem during that time. But to illustrate the depravity of man, it was parents eating their own children. A mind has a hard time going there. That I could ever get so suffering that I would be willing to, to do something so horrific. To this wicked people, so engrossed in their idolatry and wickedness, God had told them this is going to happen, but they were so bound in their sins. It says in Jeremiah 18, 11 and following, Now therefore, he says to Jeremiah, go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. But listen, it says, and they said, there is no hope. But we will walk after our own devices, and we will everyone do the imagination of his own evil heart. Turn from your wickedness. Destruction is going to come. And they said, there is no hope. We will remain doing what we're doing right now, which is living in idolatry and sin against you. After God warned his people to stop once and for all, giving them a merciful opportunity to repent, they said, there is no hope. No hope of ever giving up chasing after our own lusts and desires. They had become slaves to their own lusts and had lost any hope of changing. Human nature is slave to its own lusts and will. Alone, man has no hope of breaking the chains that tie him to his sinful nature. Apart from Christ, man is bound, he's shackled to sin. When temptation comes along, man falls to that sin. Why? Because he is a slave to his master. And you say, well, who's the master of the world? That's an easy one. The Bible tells us the master of the world today is called the prince of the power of the air. It's the devil. And mankind, apart from Jesus Christ, is bound to that devil. 
That's the Old Testament. Praise God, we are now in the New Testament, and I'm quite grateful that I don't live in the Old Testament. All those rules, my land. They had tons and tons and tons of rules they had to follow. Just remembering them. We're in the New Testament now. But it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ. Now Paul is speaking here, and he's talking to a Gentile audience. Not Jews, a Gentile audience. He said, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't Jews, he was saying, and strangers from the covenants of promise. Here's what he says having no hope and without God in the world. So he says that at that time, you were without Christ, having no hope. You were without Christ, and you had no hope. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would, not that you have be I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those that have died that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You see, funerals can be very bittersweet. I have been so many funerals, and I've officiated so many funerals. But there's something in remarkably different about the funeral of someone who knows Jesus Christ and someone who does not. I've been to funerals where you honestly have a hard time hearing the preacher preach because the wailing is so loud. Weeping and crying. All because there's no hope. But you don't have that same hopelessness at the funeral of someone who's saved. Yes, they miss them. It hurts they're not here. But like David said of his son, I know where he is and I'm going to be with him. We sorrow, but not as those that have no hope. In the Old Testament, the world had no hope apart from God. In the New Testament, the world has no hope apart from Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. I found this in, in a blog on the Internet. Just randomly reading through, it says, I grew up with at least some hope for the future. But now, looking at all that's going on in the world and how really, at this point, climate change is in full effect, not just inevitable, it's really happening, I feel like all that I hope I had in humanity, that we would be able to put some dent in climate change and social issues, was just childhood stupidity. I know having a doomer mindset is not the best, and what big conglomerates want us to have so we, have, so we do nothing, says, I try to do things. It's hard when you're living in an abusive and controlling household with people who want you dead. I need to say this, I always do, that I'm not at risk of ending it, to put a better word to it. I stopped trying to do that a long time ago. In all honesty, it feels like the world is ending in front of me, a slow and painful descent into an engulfing fire. I honestly think no matter what we do, there's not going to be much to save us concludes with this statement. I feel bad for that little child who had hope that humanity would come toward the common good because in all honesty, they were wrong. I found it interesting that twice in this blog, they mentioned hope in humanity. 
I think that's the problem. When we look to ourselves for hope, we will always be disappointed. God says in Romans 3.10, there is none good, no, not one. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The harder we try to be encouraged and hopeful by looking everywhere but Christ, the more our hearts will be filled with hopelessness. Hal Lindsay is recorded as saying, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only one second with no hope. When God looked down and saw this world that was dark in hopelessness, the Bible says in John 3, 16, He loved the world. But not just loved it, I looked it up. He so loved the world to the degree that He sent that which was most precious to Him, His only begotten Son, to die for the sins of mankind. Jesus brought with Him that which the world was so desperate to find, hope. Isaiah 9, 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. The land of the shadow of death. Now, we read that pretty casually. But if you lived in that region during this time, you would understand what's being illustrated here in this verse. The tribes of Israel were such that the most northern tribes, Zebulun, Naphtali, and over here at Galilee, the most northern tribes were the ones that the enemies typically would attack. They came in through the north, and those on the borders up north, were like there were constant skirmishes there. That land was called the land of darkness. the land of the shadow of death. They were walking in spiritual darkness, and they desperately needed God's light. We see in Matthew 4.12, not only is this prophesied in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, it says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, north. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is up the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He says, The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand in that land of spiritual darkness, that land of the shadow of death, that land that was constantly being attacked. Jesus showed up, bringing light to that dark world. You see, I learned something. I learned something, that is, Jesus does not just give hope. Now, you talk about a reservoir of hope. Whoa! 
Jesus has this rich, limitless reservoir of hope. And to see him going and opening the door and taking of that hope and bringing it to us and giving it to us freely, that's a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful image. Give me hope. I want hope. Give me hope. But there's something even fuller to this truth that I learned and that hope is born. In Colossians 1.27, it says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here it is. Here is this mystery that was clouded to the Gentiles earlier on, but it's been revealed to them. What is this mystery? Here it is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. As Christ is in us, so is his hope. As we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, He comes to live inside of us, the Bible teaches, never to leave us. He brings with Him the promise of eternal life with Him. In Colossians 1.5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, or the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel brings us hope. We have hope for heaven because of the truth of the gospel. Our hope is in his eternal life, which he offers freely by trusting him for salvation. So I've got to ask you a question before I go on. How's your hope? How's your hope? There's not a person in here, no matter what age, that has not been slapped in the face with opportunities to steal your hope. The devil loves it. Oh, he loves it. If he can come and reach into your heart and grab that hope and rip it out of your heart, he is so pleased. Everything he can to do that, bringing trials in your life, disappointments, tragedies. What? That he might make you hopeless. In 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or a living hope. A living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, our hope is actually alive in Christ. Because of his resurrection, as Jesus came back from the dead, breaking the bonds of sin and death, Jesus now can offer us living hope or a hope of living forever with him. In Lamentations 3, 22 and following, it's a beautiful passage. The prophet writes, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his passion, compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith the Lord. Therefore will I hope in him. And you know, the prophet that wrote that is the same prophet that wrote the book of Jeremiah. And Lamentations. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, the man that God left in Jerusalem as all of the sieges by the Babylonians took them away, leaving only the, the off-scouring, if you will, the remnants and all the ruins and smoke was left from the Babylonian destruction. And Jeremiah was there sitting in that ash heap, dealing with the people that were so broken in so many ways. 
Jeremiah said, Great is thy faithfulness. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Sounds to me like Jeremiah found that God is compassionate and faithful, and he could trust him to hope in him. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. The Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Did you notice it didn't say who gives us hope? Now, does Jesus give us hope? And the answer is definitely yes. Jesus does love giving us hope. But that's not what this says. It didn't say that Jesus gave us hope. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. You see, the hope is a person. Our hope is not a feeling. It's not a concept. It's a person. Jesus Christ in us. And as we allow His Spirit free access and control over our lives, His presence fills us with that hope, His very nature in us. The world can't understand us. We just shake our heads. I don't, I don't get you. I don't, you work at the workplace, and these, these, these unsaved people, they just look at you strange. You're a strange duck. You won't drink with them. You won't listen to dirty jokes with them. You won't get excited about the same things they're excited. And yet, you keep going on when the trials come that will put them under. They don't get you. Because they have not experienced firsthand hope inside of them. Before Nancy and I got married, I was in Bible school in Indiana. Now, most of you are not going to conceive of this. If you're my age or older, this might ring true to you. I was in a dormitory, and, and in my particular dorm, there were several, seven other guys. But ours was just one room in a long dormitory of many, many rooms, and it was like an old, it was an old motel that had been renovated. So from the outside, you walk into your door. There was... This was the days before cell phones. There was one payphone for the entire dormitory on the outside. One payphone. So at any time of the day, you would see a line of guys outside there waiting to talk on the phone. Now, I had a very strong desire to talk to my fiance. We were apart, I wanted to talk to her. But I really didn't want to share our love story with all the guys standing in line. So I have the phone, I'd be talking like this, and she said, what'd you say? I'd be talking like this. I said, I love you! Of course, all the guys laughing at that. Occasionally, I'd have the, the opportunity to visit her. I'd, I'd go to her parents' house and get to visit her. That was so sweet. But you know, you know, the, the phone calls help helped me with the hope that was coming, but when I got to visit her, I didn't need hope of seeing her because I was being fulfilled in her presence. At that moment, I wasn't looking forward to seeing her. I wasn't hopeful I'd see her. I was enjoying 
being with her. But together we looked forward to that summer when we were going to get married. And we were going to get married and be together forever. And we had that hope for looking together in our future. So she sent me hope in the letters that she wrote when I was in college. She was my hope. And together we hoped for a day we'd never have to part. I thought about that. You see, Jesus gives us hope. He gives us hope on a regular basis. As I read the scriptures this morning, I happened to be in Jeremiah. Reading Jeremiah, reading these horrible things that are going on, and yet I hear Jeremiah said, Great is thy faithfulness. There's hope there, and he was, he was giving me hope. But not only does he give me hope, he is our hope. When as an 11-year-old boy, I trusted Jesus Christ, he who is hope came to indwell inside of me. And together, he and I, we look forward with hope to the day we're going to spend together for all eternity in heaven. It's my hope. It's my hope. More than just giving me hope, he is my hope. Jesus Christ was born to be our hope. The incredible theologian D. Lloyd Jones wrote, The Bible shows that the world is passing and temporary. Christians are to seek not to transform this world, but to bring the gospel that alone can transform the hearts and minds of people. The Bible never promises that this world will be made inevitably better, as many people believe. It teaches that salvation comes to take people out of the world. True peace does not come when war ends, or poverty is removed, but when sinful people are reconciled with God and forgiven of their sins. I'm going to ask again, how's your hope? How's your hope? When you came in this morning and you saw this crowd, they were almost obnoxious with their smiles. And the spirit was just jubilant. It's, it's, yes, yes, the time of the year has something to do with that, but, but if you're around here very often, you're going to see that that's pretty typical around here. People just tend to smile at each other. Go figure. They even shake hands. Now, it was a challenging during the, during the day, days we got shut down for COVID because we couldn't shake hands for a while, and that was challenging. But there's a love here. And the love that we have is only because hope is born. Hope came to give us hope. Hope wants to spend time with us, in us, and hope wants together to plan for a beautiful future together. So are you enjoying any of those three aspects of hope? Do you know for sure that if you died tonight that you would be enjoying eternity with Christ forever and ever? Do you know that for sure? Which one of us doesn't hope? <laughs> we hope. Oh, we're, we hope. But do you know that for sure? You see, it's interesting because the Bible term hope goes far beyond how we use it currently. The Bible term hope means a confident expectation you know what? I hope the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, we can be pretty assured it's going to happen. That's hope. 
The Bible kind of hope, like I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. You say, Pastor, you're, you're pretty sure on that. I sure am. You know why? Because the Bible told me I am. Because I did exactly what it told me to do. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came, shed his blood to pay for the sins of mankind. I trusted in him and him alone, not my good works and his, but him alone to forgive my sins and to save me. As an 11-year-old, I got what the Bible says, saved. I know I'm going to heaven, not because of me, it's because of him. Do you know the same thing? Is that your testimony today? If not, before you left this place today, you could know for sure. And by the way, my heart goes out to you if you don't know, but my heart goes out to you also if you do know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're hopeless today. How tragic it is for us to know Jesus as a personal Savior, but to lose hope. You get kicked in the gut too many times. Life's trials hit you too often. And it's, quite frankly, hopeless for you, you feel. i got good news for you. If Jeremiah, sitting in the ashes of Jerusalem, could find out that God is faithful, and he's a merciful God, and that he can hope in him, then you and I, no matter what the circumstances, can find that God is hopeful for us as well. So is God your hope today? I trust he is. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you've done for us and allowing us the privilege of meeting together like this today. As we celebrate Christmas Eve with the hope that tomorrow we're going to have a blessed day in Christmas. We do so because you loved us enough to send your son. Lord, you knew from the very beginning that the purpose for that sending was that your son might die. And so, Spirit of God, would you move in our midst right now? And would you give us a renewed hope? I wonder, with nobody looking around, our eyes are closed. Would there be anyone in this group this morning that would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but I really want to know. Is that your testimony this morning? You don't know for sure that you're going, but you really want to know. I would not call you by name. I'd never embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. If that's your testimony, would you put your hand up so I can see it? Nobody else, just you. Who would say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know. Anyone like that this morning? Perhaps that second is your testimony. Perhaps you came here this morning, and frankly, it was a challenge just to get here because of life's pressures and the fact that you have at least come close to losing your hope. This morning, would you be reunited with he who is hope? Would you thank him for all he's done for you? Would you ask him to strengthen you and to once again be your hope? <laughs> he promises he will. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this incredibly sweet time. I thank you for your word and the confidence we have in it. I thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. 
And I thank you for the privilege that we have today of meeting, singing Christmas carols, and just reveling in the joy surrounding this special time of year. I pray that you'll go with each of us. I pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified in the event. And we'll thank you, Lord, for it. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.